right, all right. Good morning, Faith Church. What's going on, everybody? Hey, it's good to have everyone here in the house. My name is Steve Husky. I'm the lead pastor, man. It's just a privilege to see all of you here. If, uh, if you're a faith family here in Florence, we want to say welcome. We want to welcome our Faith Church family up in Lawrenceburg. Come on, can we honor them, man? We're so glad to have you in the house. And again, to all of our VIPs, if you're visiting here live at one of our campuses or you watching online, man, we just want to say welcome. We make the declaration every week because we believe that Jesus, come on, he's the hope of the world. Whatever you're going through, whoever you are, whatever your challenge, man, I want to encourage you to allow Jesus to meet you where you are. It'll be the greatest decision that you have ever made. Does anybody here believe that? Listen, I came to talk today. Y'all came to listen. Anybody here ready? Awesome. Well, listen, we are in week three of a series we started several weeks ago entitled Relationship Goals. And this idea of relationship goals is exactly that, that we all have goals for our relationships, but far more important than the goals we have, what we found through this series is that God has goals for us. And we've talked through this series about some different goals uh, or some different uh, types of relationships like friendships, about having certain types of friends and being a certain type of friend. Last week, we talked about dating and about what it means to find the right person, about going through the process of finding our spouse for life. And we've heard so much great feedback of what God has been doing. And so I just want to encourage you, man, just continue to believe God for relationship goals to happen in your life. And here's why. What we've really found out through relationship goals and through this series is that relationships are a key part of who we are, that the stakes are significant. That who you choose to let in your life, how you choose to allow them in your life, of who you run with, who you hang with, who you date, and ultimately who you married is a key part of the people we are and the people that we become. In fact, we've said this throughout the series that our relationships define our past and they determine our future. So be intentional about who you're hanging out with, who you're hooking up with, who you're latching your life to because they're going to play a key role in defining your life. And so today, as we jump into this idea of marriage, um, I just want to just start really in the place that I think it's important to start at, and it's this, that unfortunately, when you talk about marriage in our current culture, marriage has become an increasingly frightening word. Like when you talk about marriage today, people, there was a time people were excited about, people were looking forward to. Unfortunately, today, when people hear the word marriage, it comes with all kinds of reservations and negative connotations. In fact, people's typical perception today of marriage, if you are here and you are, wa- are you watching online and you're in Lawrenceburg and you are mid-30s or below, I think you'll know this is probably true for you and your friends and those you probably hang out with, that here's the idea when it comes to marriage is that it doesn't go well and it typically doesn't end well. And so there is immediately, when we talk about marriage from this pulpit, that People get apprehensive, and you might have already tapped out and said, no, I'm out. And I understand, again, statistics, when you watch statistics and you see where they're going, you find what I'm telling you people's perception is that it doesn't go well and it doesn't end well is actually what's matching in culture. In fact, what we find is that less and less people are getting married, and more and more people who are married are ending in divorce. In fact, we have seen generationally this decline from generation to generation As generations pass by, less and less people are getting married because of their apprehension, because of their concern, because of their fear. In fact, what statistics tell us is that boomers married at a rate of 91%, which means if you're the boomer generation, nine out of every 10 friends found a spouse and got married. 
Like that was the thing to do. And then it went from the boomers down to my generation. I'm a Gen Xer. It went from 91% down to 82%. Like there was this slip, less people getting married. And it went from 82%, the millennials, this generation next, it went from 82% to only 70% were getting married. And now people tell us, researchers tell us that Gen Z is projected to marry at less than 60%, which means people are avoiding marriage like the plague because somehow they believe that it is. Like, no, no thanks. And I think it's based on our personal pain and our own experience. Some of us, unfortunately, were raised in a household where our parents got divorced and we witnessed the fight, we witnessed the fallout, and we're like, no, I don't, I'm out. If that's what it is, I don't want that. Some of us, it wasn't just how we grew up. Some of us in this room, we have been personally ourselves through divorce and even the thought, like, you don't really want to do life alone, but to do that again, no thanks, but no thanks. And so through our own personal pain and experience, we've reached this place where we are incredibly skeptical as a culture and unfortunately as a church that when we hear the idea of marriage that we don't think of something good, we think of something bad. And so my goal today in relationship goal number three is to really talk about that you can have the marriage God wants you to have. Come on, somebody, because we got a good God. Come on, does anybody here believe that we serve a good God? Now, I know that many marriages, even in this room, are struggling. And so I want with the greatest desire I have. I've felt a very unique burden for this series. Every message I preach, every series I preach, I get up prepared, prayed out, prepped, ready to deliver what I believe God's laid on my heart. But I have carried such a unique burden because I know in this house, in this church, we have thousands of people, and unfortunately there are lots of couples that are either in the middle of divorce or about to go through the divorce. They're about to tap out. And I just, want to, I just want to tell you, man, God has a relationship goal for you. I just want you, man, just to hear that from my heart. In a minute, we're going to hear it from God's heart. But I want you to hear it from your pastor. And just on a total fleshly note, we're just going to take Jesus out of the equation for a minute. I know you can't do that. Don't write me an email. I know. It's going to set him over. This is just totally personal. If I can just say this so you all know how I think sometimes, too. Uh, sometimes I see these, these dudes, some of you, some of you, who you leave this beautiful wife and two gorgeous kids or three gorgeous kids. And like, I find out you left them and I'm like, where are you going? It's all downhill from there. You lucked out the first time. That's not happening again. You might want to just stay where you are. Yeah. Side note, side note. You might want to look in the mirror before you go out the door is what I'm screaming. So again, I know marriages are in a difficult place here. I know marriages are in a difficult place in culture. I know it's something, unfortunately, to be feared. It's something that we are avoiding. And today, I just want to go a different direction. Real quick, I, um, I love watches. I, have a, I got a collection of watches, uh, some pretty nice ones, like nothing really stellar high end. But man, I just always love watches. And I bought into my Apple Watch for the last couple of years, so I don't wear much else. But I've always wanted, for years and years, I've wanted a Rolex. Specifically, what my desire is, I would love to have a, uh, a Submariner, a Rolex Submariner, two-tone. I don't see anybody writing this down. <laughs> two-tone with a sunburst blue dial. For real, real talk. Just have always wanted one, and so um, the reason I don't have one is because they're $14,000. Um, and, but here's the thing is I'll still, this is true. Like I'll, if I don't do this all the time, but from time to time, if I'm walking by like a high end jewelry store, 
I'll walk in, and they'll be like, sir, can I help you? And I'll be like, uh, yeah, let me, you know what? Uh, like, I look like I don't know what I'm doing. I'm like, uh, you know what? Right there, that uh, Submariner two-tone with the star, <laughs> Starburst blue dial, let me just try that on. And I'll just put it on. If you never wore a Rolex or real heavy watches, and I'll just walk around. <laughs> what time is it? Uh, we have quarter till right now. And then I'll just take it off, and, you know, they're just like, well, would you like to buy it? Nope, just try it on, thanks. And I'll leave, and I'll do that from time to time. So I've just always wanted one. They're really, really nice watches. They keep impeccable time. Uh, they're, not just, they're not just a high-dollar uh, item to buy. They're actually an investment. Most Rolexes, if you take care of them, they increase in value. So they're a great timepiece. They're, they're, they're just a cultural icon. Again, they always carry their value. But I'll never pay $14,000 for one. So it's funny, I will have friends potentially come up to me and they'll be like, you know, hey, pastor, if you want one, like, you know, you can get one from China for like $100 or like I've had people say this, hey, I'm getting ready to go to New York and like you can stop by on a New York street corner, you get one for 50 bucks and I'll bring it home for you. And I'm just going to tell you, besides the ethical issues of buying knockoffs, which I think there are ethical issues with knockoffs, like the issue is this, is if I'm going to get a Rolex, I want a Rolex that keeps good time, that's iconic, that's an investment. What we know about the knockoffs are is this, that they don't keep time very well, they, far, they fall behind or they run very fast, and typically not only do they keep poor time, they don't last very well and they break down incredibly easy. They're junk. Now here's the thing, I want you all to think about this for a minute. What would you think if somebody judged the quality of a Rolex based on the quality of a knockoff? What if everybody had knockoffs and then Rolex got a bad reputation because everybody was rolling with the knockoff and then the real deal got the reputation as they don't keep good time? No, no, no. You got to get the real thing to experience the real thing. You're judging the real thing based on a knockoff. Today, what I want to tell you is that there's a lot of people in culture that are judging real marriage based on the phony. We're, we're judging the performance of fake marriages. Come on, phony marriages. Uh, culture, we don't have the real thing. We got to get back with what God wants us to have, not what culture has given us. If you're taking notes, we need to get our marriages from the manufacturer. And as long as we're doing marriage culture's way, we're going to give us what culture gave us. And I don't want what culture can give us. We need to reject cultural marriages. And if you're in this place, you're in this house, you're watching in Lawrenceburg, and you're struggling, you're keep, barely keeping your head above water, you've tapped out or you're getting ready to tap out, I promise you, probably what you're giving up on isn't the marriage God designed for you, wants for you, or has for you. You're tapping out on a marriage you bought into that culture told you what it is. Come on, y'all got to help me today. So if you're taking notes, I'm going to give us a couple things. We're going to dive into what God thinks about marriage. And marriage, first of all, you're taking notes that marriage was designed by God. Did you know that? We live in a, a culture, again, that tells us that uh, when you think about marriage, that marriage, that a man and a wife living together is a construct of culture. It's somewhere along the line, we just figured out, hey, you come live with me and I'll come live with you and it'll make things better. And so we bought into that it's a construct of culture. And now as culture is declining, we're giving up on it. But what you need to know is that, that marriage is not a construct of culture. It's a gift from God. In fact, Genesis chapter 2 tells us when God made a perfect man and set him in the middle of a perfect paradise, he looked at him and he said this, Genesis 2.18, then the Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. Who said that? Come on, everybody, who said that? So man didn't look and say, God, I'm alone, I need some help. No, God looked at man, God looked at us and said, no, you, you need some help. 
I want to put somebody with you. And he goes on, he says, I will make a helper who's just right for him. So God, Adam didn't scream out to God, God, I need somebody. God looked at man and knew our need before we realized we had one. And God said, I'll answer the need. I'll make a helper who is just right. And so, again, God, in a perfect paradise, put a perfect man and made a perfect companion. And so here's what you just need to know is that ultimately marriage is a part of a good, God's pl- a good plan from a good God for God's people. And so right out of the gate, you got to look and say, are you going to decide what culture says about marriage or are you going to decide what Christ says about marriage? And if you look at what culture says, there's reason to be afraid, there's reason to tap out, and there's reason to give up. But if you're going to buy into that this was God's plan, come on, if you're here and you're married, you want to get married, you hope to get remarried, you hope to get remarried, (laughs) wherever you're at, listen, hey, I want you to believe the marriage you're in or you're about to step into can be the marriage God has for you, not the marriage culture wants to hand you. I got some re-re-re's in the house. Come on, don't, don't hate them. We love everybody. Everybody's welcome here. But here's the problem is even though it started really great, the original marriage, the original one man, one woman in the context of marriage for life was beautiful until what is theologically known as the fall. Adam and Eve chose to do life apart from their creator, apart from his standards, and they fell. Sin entered in. They rebelled against their creator, and they were separated from the creator. And what you find is one of the first things that was impacted as a result of the fall was relationship. In fact, Genesis 3.16 tells us that it went from Adam and Eve being two equals made for each other, that this was a result of the curse. Genesis 3.16 says this. This was God speaking to Eve after the fall. God says, and you will desire to control your husband. And he will, but he will rule over you. Now, just stop and think for a minute. Be honest. No hands unless you got to put one up. Come on, women in this house. How many people have you ever felt like you need to control your husband? I said no hands. Some of you like fight. You're like, you want to put that thing up. How many, how many men in this house feel like I need to rule over my woman? Woman, go make me chicken pot pie. I want you to know that if your desire is to control your husband, and husbands, your desire is to rule over your wife, you're operating out of a cursed marriage, not God's blessed marriage, and not God's plan for your life. So if we're going to do it right, if we're going to have right relationships with, with our companion, it first starts with a right relationship with our creator. If, if God will fix this, we can fix this. And that's exactly what happened. We find after perfection came the fall, and immediately God had a plan to fix it. Amen. Ultimately, here was God's plan. Is he was saying, listen, there's nothing you can do to fix what's broken in you. So my goal, and this was his plan, always his plan for everyone here, everyone online, is that God the Father loved us so much that he sent his son as the savior of the world to make the sacrifice play, to die in our place for the forgiveness of our sin. And as we submit our lives to him, we find eternal life, we find forgiveness, and we find everything is new. Does anybody know that's true? And so ultimately we know that God relation fixed this relationship. What was broken here has been restored through Jesus. And now everything else because of this can change. 
And so what I want to do is I want to jump into uh, Ephesians chapter 5, and what we find is the Apostle Paul is writing, and he's giving us our job descriptions. Now, we've been taking our cues from culture. I want us for a few minutes this morning to lean in to Christ and take our cues from him. This is your role. If you are a husband, want to be a husband, will be a husband, are a wife, want to be a wife, will be a wife, here's what you're signing up for as far as God's concerned. Ephesians 5.21, I want you all to read it with me. He says, and further, submit to... I, I want you all to read this with me. Let's try that again. Lawrenceburg, come on, everybody here read this, 521. And further, submit to one another out of love for each other. No, no, no. He says the way this thing starts off, husband and wife, is you submit one to another. And what's our motivation? Out of reverence for Christ. Reverence, not love. See, we get it mixed up. We start out of feeling love's not the reason. Reverence is the reason. I don't do what I do for you. I do what I do for him. Totally different way to think. And here's why. Watch, watch. So it's kind of like this. Imagine, and it's not hard for many of us to imagine, like I come to Jesus, March 19, 1989. I gave my life to Christ. I'm a brand new person. He forgave me a whole kind of mess. He still forgave me of a whole kind of mess. He's faithful to me. He's good to me. He loves me all the time, all the way, no matter who I am. It's who he is. And so it's like if I would go to him and be like, Jesus, I'm so thankful for salvation. I'm so thankful that you're my redeemer and you're my forgiver and my friend. Lord, I just want to honor you. I just want to bless you in my life. God, tell whatever, man, I just, how can I serve you, Lord? Tell me what I can do to honor, reverence, just, oh, you're so awesome. And God looks at us and here's what he says. You know all that feeling you have for me? You know all that passion you have for me? I want you to turn to your spouse and pour it out on them. No, no, God, I don't think you understand. I'm like, like, what song do you want me to sing to you? Like, I'll make a kingdom builder's pledge. What are we talking about here? God's like, no, 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 no. If, if you want to really love me, love your spouse. I want you to be to your spouse what I was to you. I want you to do for your spouse what I did for you. That's where marriage starts. It's that we are equal. We submit one to another. And our driving reason is our reverence for Christ, which means if you're here and you're not serving Christ, or you're saying, Pastor, are you tell me I can't have a good marriage? I'm telling you, you can't have the marriage God wants you to have until your marriage is rooted in who he is to you. This is the fact. And so the issue is, and here's the challenge, we get into marriage and we don't submit to each other. Again, we're in that whole tango of we're fighting, we're trying to rule over one, and we're trying to control the other. And what I have found, I think a lot of you will agree with this, and if you're in the dating phase, it's a great time to pay attention. I have, find, I have found, unfortunately, that most people want to compromise way too much in the dating phase and way too little in the marriage phase, and we got that upside down and backwards. We need to be very cautious and very limited in how we compromise during dating, but there needs to be a whole lot of compromise in marriage to make it work. Can I just get an amen from somebody? So save all your compromise. Save those cards to play them in marriage. Ephesians 5.22, here we go. Y'all ain't ready for this. But we're just talking about what Paul, don't, don't be mad at me, write Paul a letter. This is what Paul said. <laughs> so he gives us our job descriptions in marriage. Job description number one is submit one to another. Then he says this, Ephesians 5, 22 to 24. For wives, this means, <laughs> can't even say it. For wives, this means submit to your husbands. I 
I don't know who did that, but I can guarantee their wife is not in this building. <laughs> For a husband is the head of his wife. As Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. So if you're not clear, here's your job description, wives, as far as Christ is concerned. Wives are called to submit to their husbands. Now, I get it. In our culture, that is incredibly sexist and misogynistic. And, Pastor, how dare you? Women are equal to men. Are you trying to tell me that, that women are supposed to be subservient? They're supposed to be less than? Now, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you what, what, what Jesus said. And I always go with Jesus. I don't know if you realize, if you look around, what culture's handing us isn't working. So let's just go back to the designer. And so what we find is that marriage isn't just designed by God. It's a display, a public display of our relationship with God. And what you find as you go through this, when he calls wives to submit to their husbands, here's what I need you to know is that in context, I know this stings today to hear this in 21st century America, but I want you to know it stung even worse in the first century. Here's why. Because if you think, if you're here and you think what Paul is saying, that women need to get up underneath men and women, men are just like, women are nobodies and they're under the foot of their man, that's not at all what Paul meant. Here's how I know it. Because that's what was already happening in Roman first century. The typical Roman man where, this, where, the, where the gospel came out of the Roman empire, they had multiple women in their lives. And they were sleeping with all of them. They typically had a life partner. They typically had like a business partner. They typically had like a sex, like a young, it was like you're just there for the thing. Then they would have a couple other slaves. So the typical Roman man had women and they didn't have any value. They were property be, to be traded at best. And so here comes Paul with the gospel, with God's design and display of marriage. And he says, no, no, this is how you do marriage. And so if his goal was that women are just underneath the feet of men, they would have been cheering because that's what was already happening. But what we find is because these people had an encounter with Christ, it changed their experience in marriage, and they moved from this multiplicity of brides to monogamy. They had one woman, and all of a sudden, the value of people, women went from being property to being equal people, and all of a sudden, men went from being beasts where they just fulfilled their lust against all kinds of women. They become sons of God where their purpose was to love one wife. I'm I'm telling you, the gospel is that. And so if you're, if you're taking notes, this is, this is so big. Here's the idea. Submission isn't about surrender. It's about support, which means women aren't subservient. They're not second-class citizens. They're not underneath the shoe of their husband. In fact, what we find is this is awesome. Watch, watch. What you find is when you go back to Genesis, when God tells Adam, I'll make a helper for you. Everybody say helper. I'll make a help. That sounds like I need some help. Woman, go, go wash my clothes. Woman, go cook my meal. No, mm. God said I'll make a helper for him. Did you know that the title helper is used multiple other places in the Old Testament to describe God? Now, I want you to know God ain't no second-class citizen. And he show as heck ain't subservient to us. When he says, I'm, I'm man's helper, who, you know, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. He's my helper. His role is that he is to me what I need because there's things I need that I can't have without him. Women, I want you to know you're not here to be subservient. You're here to be a support 
to the man God's placed in your life, which means that, listen, like I can, here's what it means. It means to lean into leadership. You're not forced to do it. You lean into his leadership when I know, and here's why I can do it. Because the example is women, you can, the same way we're called to submit to Christ, wives are called to submit to the husband. Here's how I can submit to Christ. Because I know he loves me. I know he's got a good plan for me. So when I don't see it and it doesn't make sense, I know he's a good God. So I can lean into the leadership he has for my life. I don't have to. I get to. Wives, you don't have to do it. But when you got a good man who loves you and loves the Lord, you can lean into that leadership and be his support. There are things my wife is to me that I can't do what I do without her. I need her support in the vision God's given me for our home. Come on. And we all know how it is. Anybody here ever got kids and you ball their shirt up and when they're walking, you let them think that you're leading them, but you like you lead them with their shirt? That's my wife. I'm leading the way, but she's steering, baby. She's the rudder of the ship. But just so we're clear, submission, it's not about surrender. It's about support. Let's talk about husbands for a minute because it's getting hot in here. It's getting hot. Ephesians 525. Come on, husbands. You're not going to like this anymore. We're, not, we're getting our cues from Christ and not from culture. For husbands, this means love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church, he gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she'll be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands, come on, read it with me, ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. So the same way the job description, wives, you're to submit to your husbands. Husbands, you are called to love your wives. And really important, we qualify this word love, husbands, pay attention. And women, you pay attention because this should be your expectation and standard. Love isn't a reaction, it's a responsibility. Which means I'm not going to love you based on how you look. And if your looks change, I'm going to love you less. Uh Uh-uh. Love is not a reaction based on how you treat me is determining how I'm going to treat you. No, love is not a reaction. Love is a responsibility, which means I'm going to do for you and I'm going to be to you despite how you are to me. What's crazy is you find that Paul, when he gives the job description, I don't know if you caught it, but he gave women, he gave women one example. He said, wives, submit to your husbands the same way that we as Christ followers are to submit ourselves to Jesus. But notice when he starts talking to men, this is, men, you need to pay attention here. He uses twice as many words and he gives us two examples instead of one, which means we are a bit slow on the uptake. And all the women said, amen. Got to tell, tell men twice because everybody knows they weren't listening the first time. And so husbands who treat their wives awful, who, men who neglect, men who curse at and demean, men, men who ignore, men who leave all the responsibility to the wife are not doing what Christ called us to. We're to treat our wives as good, if not better, than any other person we treat in our lives. I know it's, it's crazy, but unfortunately it just happens in the world that we live, all these crazy things, man. Like the lies, think about this. I've used this example before, but you, you know how it is, man. Sometimes you get into it with your wife and levels, like voice levels go up and tension, you know, you get start, start getting some tension in your voice. 
and like the phone rings right in the middle of your argument, and I don't even care what you think. You better, woman, you better back up. Hello? Hey, y'all, what you doing, man? I'm just hanging out with my wife. We're just, we're just talking. And it's crazy how we can flip a switch and all of a sudden we get respectful to somebody we don't even live with and then we hang up, we get right back into disrespect. Listen, if we're going to disrespect anybody, disrespect the person on the phone, but save it. Listen, don't give it to your wife. We are called, listen, to love husbands, love your wives. Here's the two examples he gave. Example number one, here's what he tells us. We're to love her, love our wife, the same way Jesus loves sinners. And that love that Jesus has for us is sacrificial and proactive, which means he made the big play for us. It was sacrificial and it was proactive. We didn't do it. He didn't do it in response to us. He did it if we would never respond. In fact, the word says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so husbands, our responsibility to love our wives is not out of a feeling. It's a responsibility out of a reverence for Christ that I'm going to make the big sacrifice for my spouse. And I'm going to be proactive even if she doesn't put anything in the game. I just want you to know the mentality of culture is it's 50-50. 50-50 doesn't work. It's 100-100. I'm 100% in. If my wife is all the way out, I'm 100% in. Are you all taking notes or what, what are we doing up here? You all hearing me? Listen, this, this, this is so you know how deep I am in this. Number one message I get is on marriage. Number one. Pastor, we're struggling. Pastor, I'm leaving. Pastor, I quit. Pastor, I tap out. Got a message yesterday, and I won't give you the whole message. This is how it started. Opening question, and then they gave a bunch of context. I won't tell you all my context, but I'll give you my opening response to their question. Here it was. Pastor, how do you know, how do you know when you can quit on your marriage? You know what my answer was? Culture was, if you're done, if you're tired, if you're exhausted, if you're fed up. Here was my answer, when you quit breathing. That's how you know when you tap out. You say, that's ridiculous. Listen, I don't know about you, but I don't, ever, I don't ever want Jesus to tap out on me. Regardless of who I am, what I do, what I go through, how I act, my bad attitude, my up days, down days, I want a Savior that never gives up on me. And he said the love for our wife is to be the same level. We don't ever give up. Come on, husbands, love your wives. I know, listen, I know it's hard, but that's the call. Love your wives. And if you can't love your wife, you know what, and you're here, and you're like, Pastor, I'm just done, like I'm tapped out, I just don't have any more, then I want you to know, Jesus said, if you can't love her as a wife, love her as a neighbor, because there's nobody who lives closer to you than your own spouse. And you're like, Pastor, I'm glad you said that, because we're separated, she don't even live by me anymore. Well, that's okay, because Jesus said, not only are we supposed to love, uh, to, to love our neighbor, but we're also supposed to love each other, because that's how this world knows we love Jesus. So then you ought to love her at least as your sister in Christ. You say, Pastor, like, but you don't understand, like, I can't even stand her, and she ain't serving the Lord anyway, so I'm out on that too. I don't love her as a wife, I don't love her as a neighbor, and I don't love her as my sister. Well, here's good news for you. Jesus said, even love our enemies. So no matter what level she has fallen to, God calls us to raise the level, come on, to love. Second thing, second example God gives us is we're supposed to love her the same way Jesus loves sinners. Husbands, we're to love our wives, number two, how you love yourself. Now, let's talk real talk for a minute. Everybody in this room loves themselves. Come on, everybody's caught themselves, looking at themselves in the mirror. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and especially, here's the thing is, the longer you are with you, the more you start falling apart. Come on, anybody here got a waist that you wish you had with you in high school, but it's long gone. It's like, 
It's like this much tape measure ahead. <laughs> I remember I used to go shopping for jeans, and my waist size, I wear 36 inseam, 30, or 36 seam. I got long legs. And I used to remember thinking, like, who has a waist bigger than their legs? <laughs> it took about a decade to find that answer. Come on, here's what I'm telling you is that we are called to love our wives the same way Christ loves sinners and the same way we love ourselves, which means I understand this. I need to take care of this if I'm going to live and have the life God wants me to have. I need to make sure that I'm working out. I need to make sure that I'm trying to eat right. I need to make sure I'm taking supplements. Come on, some of you are Botoxing. Don't act like you ain't. Come on, those lines were there last week. I know it. You know it. And it's okay. But he's saying, listen, you take care of yourself because you love yourself. Your bride is a part of you. The way you take care of your body, take care of your bride. Come on, because that's more important because she's going to take care of you too. So if you're not clear, here's what our call is. We're called in this. Ultimately, women are called to submit and men are called to sacrifice. These are our job descriptions. It's easier for men to love women that are supportive, and it's easier for women to submit to men that are sacrificial. Let me say that again. It's easier for men to love women that are supportive. When my wife supports me and comes up alongside of me and leans into my leadership, I want to love her more. And I'm just telling you, the more I love her the way I need to love her, she naturally leans in. When I lean, she leans. When I lean, she leans. The standard is if she never leans my way, I still lean. Her standard is if I never lean her way, she still leans. But when you get that, when you get that synergy working in your marriage and you start leaning into each other, the two become one. And I'm telling you, what I'm talking about here isn't talked about in culture. It's you, do, you go do you. You go be you. You go chase your dreams. There, is no, there are no Steve dreams anymore. There's our dreams. There's no more Steve money. It's Shauna money. That's, that's some real talk while I don't have a Rolex right there. Listen, so you can decide. You can decide if you're going to get, come on, where are you getting your Rolex from? Where are you getting your marriage from? If you got your marriage on a street corner in New York, you're in trouble. Or you can get it on Fifth Avenue, upscale store. I'm getting my marriage from the designer. In my role, in my job, in my call, while it's not easy, it is a challenge. I got emotions, and she's got emotions, and I got a will, and she's got a will, and I'm still a sinner, and she's still a sinner. And there's a lot of tension in that together. At the end of the day, I want the marriage God designed for me because it's the best marriage. I don't, I don't, want, the, I don't want the marriage culture has for me. I want the marriage Christ has for me. That means I got to do it God's way and not culture's way. <laughs> Genesis 2.15, almost done. Genesis 2.15, we find that as God puts everything in place in paradise, as everything's perfect, as everything's right, God said this to Adam. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over. So what God said was, I'm giving you everything you need for the paradise you want. I'm giving you, there were four rivers the Bible says that watered Eden. He said, I'm giving you water. I'm giving you seed. I'm giving you land. It's your garden, but you work it. Like you have everything you need to be successful, but you got to tend it and watch it. You got to work your garden. And if you want your marriage to work, you got to work your marriage. 
God has given us, as we're connected to Christ, he's given us everything we need, everything we need to be successful. He's given us the example of the sacrifice play that men are supposed to have for their wives. He's called us to the example of how we submit ourselves to Christ as wives come and submit and support their husbands. We have everything we need. When I think about work for it, I thought of four things that I think will cover at least most of the people in this house or watching online or in Lawrenceburg. Here's four things I think all of us at one stage in life or another have worked for. Degrees, gardens, jobs, and a deer hunt. I know. I'm in Alabama. <laughs> a degree. If you want a degree, you got to work for it. You have to register for classes. You have to show up. You have to read your syllabus. You have to turn in your assignments. You have to take notes. You have to show up and take the test. They just don't hand you a degree. You got to work for it. For gardens, I know there's gardeners here and people who own property. Like the, the harvest doesn't just show up on its own. You got to go out and you got to plow the ground and you got to pull the weeds and you got to plant the seed and you got to water it. You got to do everything you want that in due time you'll have a harvest. You got to work it. Jobs, come on. Jobs are hard. If you want a job, that means you have to get up on Monday morning and go in when you don't want to be there, oftentimes doing jobs that you didn't sign up for, getting responsibility put on you that you don't really want, but you do it all for a paycheck. If you want a paycheck, you got to work your job. And deer hunts. I mean, you got to get out and you got to go spot and you got to look for deer and you got to, I don't, people who wipe urine on themselves, that's beyond me, but I mean, hey, someone thought that was a good idea. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to get some deer urine and we're going to wipe it on ourselves. And then you get up at like four o'clock in the morning and you go out wandering in the woods. And I hear people say this all the time. Like, it's, I'm just out there with Jesus. Listen, Jesus ain't up at 4 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> ain't nobody up at 4 o'clock in the morning. And everybody's like, Jesus? The Bible says he never sleeps, he never slumbers. I know, I'm teasing. But here's my point is, you got to go through all that, and when you finally get the deer, if you get the deer, you got to go, and you got to find it, you got to follow the blood trail, you got to get it down, you got to cut it open, you got to do all this crap, you got to strip a deer out in the middle of the woods, and then drag that back to your truck and hang it, so you can get meat in the freezer, but if you want deer meat, you got to work the hunt, and listen, if you don't work it, you won't have it, you'll have debt with no degree if you don't work it, You'll have ground with no crops if you don't work it. You'll have bills with no job if you don't work it. And you'll have a freezer with no meat if you don't work it. And a good marriage won't exist because you want it, but because you work for it. Everybody shout work it. You got to work your marriage. And don't get caught up. Listen, one of the worst ways, to be, one of the easiest ways to get miserable on your job is to worry about what other people are doing. They ain't doing their job. Well, worry about your job. One of the quickest ways to get miserable in your marriage is for husbands to sit there and think, well, she ain't supporting me. Listen, don't worry about her. God will judge her for how she fulfilled her job description. What you need to worry about is God judging you for how you're fulfilling yours. Come oh, come on, somebody. That'll preach right there. Get your eyes on your job, your role, your function, and with God's grace and a ton of forgiveness and lots of love and all kinds of sacrifice in the middle of lots of emotion and lots of bad decisions, in years of tension and frustration and aggravation, keep leaning in and keep loving, keep leaning in and keep supporting, and with God's grace, you'll have the marriage God always wanted you to have. Not one that's perfect, but one that'll be everything that God intended you to have. And that's my prayer for everyone in this room. So how many of you in this room would sign up for something like that? If you want to be married or you are married, would say, I want God's marriage for my life. I want you to lift a hand real high.
Heavenly Father, I pray that over every single person that's waiting for the right somebody to come along. I pray that you'll prepare them to be the person you've designed, called, and created them to be. And for every marriage in this room, listen, if your marriage is on life support and you need, it's dead, you need a resurrection, you need a restoration, I pray over this house that marriages will be restored and healed. I pray that God will grace your relationship, that you'll forgive old hurts and old wounds and you'll leave them in the past. And you'll walk out of this place refreshed and renewed to love and support and lean into your spouse. And I bless you with the marriage that God designed for us. And I bless you with the marriage that God called us to. In Jesus' name, and everybody who agrees said amen.